If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. At participating McDonald's. What's up? What's up, Dee Dee Brown? How you doing over there, girlfriend? What's up, little bro? I'm good. Um, Are you still in the backwoods of Alabama? Hold on. I'm in the capital <laughs> city. Hold on. Don't you be talking about Bammy like that. <laughs> but yes, I'm, I'm here with my wonderful family that has been uh, Zoom bombing and podcast bombing us, as you know. Um, but yeah, it has been so great to see my mom and dad and I've just been immersed in family and babies. You know, it's been great. It's been great. I love all of that. Um, and while you've been immersed in all your lovely family and friends in Alabama, um, what have you been doing? <laughs> I've been, you know, like I told you before, I was, was traveling. This is my first, it was, I was working this week. It was, it was all, all crazy, crazy, crazy. crazy. And, I, and ironically, you know, I had an urge to reattempt to try to find some Beyonce tickets this week. That was another one of the things on my to-do list this week. And I tried, I don't know. <laughs> well, I tried originally to get some, because um, I think I'm going to have a little bit of FOMO um, when they first went on sale. And then I was like, let me just, because a friend of mine got some resale tickets. She's like, it wasn't even that easy. I was like, I was like still, you might need to go in LA, but you might need to go somewhere to another city. And I was like, oh, let me do that. I got overwhelmed by that process. And I was like, okay, I got to give it up. I can't, I can't. The hive is strong. <laughs> and she paid, um, she's going in Miami and yes. she paid close to a thousand for, for two, for, two? For, for each, for two tickets. So like 2000 each, 2000 for, for the pair. Um, which is a bit high out of my budget. You know, I'd rather spend that on a pair of Gucci shoes or I was some, gonna some, say. some Celine's or something. Um, but you know, I feel like I'm gonna have FOMO. What do you, Judge, what do you think? To I'm going to have FOMO and I didn't even try because I love her. I love her. And I love Renaissance. This album was fantastic. And all my friends are going. So, like, I just feel like, ah! <laughs> like, all, Nate and Eric, Cam. The boys are going. Kirkland, oh, Renee's going in Charlotte. Lacey's going in Atlanta. Like, all my folks are literally going. So, I know I'm going to get reviewed on. after review after review. And some of them are going to multiple shows, by the way. God, we have to get you there or us there. What can we do? Because I would can like it, to go. Can it, be, even... can it be an early 40th birthday birthday um, gift for you? For me? I mean, <laughs> this is Mr. Hollywood. Executive. 40th plus engagement gift plus baby shower gift plus. Plus wedding gift. Plus wedding gift. All the, all the gifts added up. <laughs> a good question because sometimes it's just worth it to pull the band-aid off and and spend on those experiences um, i think we are technically really good because we don't go to a lot of things because we do a lot of our socializing of course um through work and i'm sort of like you really are so good at like managing your money and and saving and doing I'm all so of frugal. that. I'm so frugal. I can't. I don't know if I can be this full. I it's it, it hurts myself. Folks, we don't have <laughs> a frugal off between me and John. I think I would win because I don't own any Celine or Gucci 
but John does not but play you, a bad discount. But you often are shopping for extremely rare vintage pieces, i.e., jewelry, boots. But they're not expensive. Um, you, but you, but you, you have some pieces. All right. though. I know what we do, John. No more shopping for the next two months. We save our coin and try to find Beyonce tickets in some random market like Montgomery, Alabama. What do you think? That's actually not a bad idea. I'm sure we could probably, yes, assignment accepted. <laughs> Let's do that and make it happen. Well, we're just going to have to uh, start working toward that. But, you know, speaking of Beyonce, we both just finished Swarm mm. and Great Balls of Fire. Wow. If you haven't seen Swarm yet, jump on it ASAP. It is a lot of things. Um it's a lot of things. My head exploded. It, exploded. it was you know, it was some of the most um like compelling television I've seen in a very long time where I felt like it was my assignment to like finish it. And I needed to finish it. ASAP. Like, I was like, I need to be done. Because I need to know what happens after episode seven right now. And yep. I was like, oh, well, and, like it, it, it just it was, it was good. It was such a good, it was and, such a good show. And, and to read all the reviews, the think mm-hmm. pieces, mm-hmm. getting on Twitter, which you know I'm not a t- tweeter, but um, just how it immersed the zeitgeist. The zeitgeist, yeah. Holy smokes. And I can tell you, we have Dominique Fishback, who we know is just a mega talent. She's a a mega talent in a tiny little body. Oh, my Mm -hmm. God. And, of course, Chloe, I thought she was just adorable in it. The casting. The casting. On that screen, I I screamed. I was literally like... I love her. Yeah. I've always loved her. The writing was so interesting. The I love satire. It was I'm gonna watch it again because yeah. really there's lots of things I missed. You know? Yeah. Um it but just I, was like it's just the cast, it looked beautiful. The casting was great. That just the, the casting was caught on. The casting was I love listen, I, I'm a Paris Jackson fan from the I love what she asked because she's good. <laughs> And then it was funnier, of course, after I realized, oh, that was Paris Jackson. And she's so gorgeous. She's so gorgeous. And she was great in that role. It was so good. It was so good. I want to go back and like watch it for like the Mm -hmm. performances because the performances all were just so like led by Dominique. It just, they were just so, God, they were just so chilling and fantastic and believable. Just like all these, it was fun. I loved it. I really, really enjoyed it. I think I sent you a podcast with one of the writers and I'm so bummed that I'm blanking on her name mm-hmm. in a podcast conversation she had. Um, and it was fascinating just listening to her talk about, you know, the, the obvious correlation between uh, Nija and Beyonce and mm-hmm. that she, Beyonce and Donald are like legit friends. Mm-hmm. So she must've had, and I haven't seen that she commented on anything. I don't know if you have, but that they are legit friends. And so it must have perceptually been okay with her. Yeah. And so it's just the, and it's so even speaking, you know, the whole thing about the tickets and trying to get them in this icon and living in a fishbowl. I, I just, it was, it was, oh my goodness. 
I, mad props to to Donald and mad props to Donald. The team I, that did over at Amazon Prime Video, like I mean, it was it was amazing. It was this, amazing. Is, this is also the kind of content that's like it's diverse. It's like you haven't seen anything like it before, especially with black faces in front it. of it. So, like, I love that um, you know Donald is is, is a change agent. Uh, in this industry and, and really doing the work that he he has because his it's purpose just, is clear, isn't his it? His purpose is so clear. clear and... I just want to say one thing as a black woman and certainly a black woman who's who's older, who's more seasoned, you know, like fine wine, um, being able to see us in this different light as a serial killer at like mm-hmm. something really never seen before, but with the rage that a lot of us mm-hmm. probably have inside from sexism, classism, mm-hmm. uh, racism, et cetera, et cetera. I could see how that could, you know, <laughs> being on the margins of things. And, and um, it, I just really thought that's right. We can play anything. Mm-hmm. We, all, we have these experiences and these challenges, just like everyone else. We're not these stereotypes that, um, we're often cast at. So I just appreciate the diversity in that sense. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I I love it. But our next guest is all about all about the diversity and of our he, industry. He and he is a change agent and we love him. Uh I'm and I'm so happy and excited to talk to him today. But John Gibson is a leading diversity, equity, and inclusion change agent and he is just what we call him, Mr. Hollywood over here. Because hey. he, he knows everyone. Um, in 2012, he established the Motion Picture Association's Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Program, working simultaneously to promote and highlight the association and its member studios like Walt Disney, Netflix, shout out to Paramount, shout out to Sony, Universal, and Warner Brothers, multicultural initiatives while also managing the MPA's partnerships with national civil rights nonprofits and multicultural groups as part of the association's outreach to leading third-party organizations. And since creating the MPA's DEI program, John has cultivated key parts. Who needs an alarm in the morning when McDonald's has sausage, egg, and cheese McGriddles and a breakfast cutoff? Ba-da-ba-ba-ba with over 50 leading organizations such as uh, the American Black Film Festival that we all know so well, the Atlanta Film Society, the Georgia Latino Film Festival, the New York Latino Film Festival, and the Entertainment Industry College Outreach Program, of whose advisory board he serves on. He is a man that has done so much work in the community, and we are so excited to have John Gibson here today. He's my friend. He's a mentor. John, welcome to Black on the Scene today. Welcome in your namesake, John, 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 yes. John. <laughs> yes. John Gibson, my friend, welcome to Black on the Scene. How are you doing today, my friend? Well, I feel honored because I'm like, you know, I know that WWE has these tag team all-stars, but y'all are the tag team all-stars. So I'm feeling good from here, from the East Coast, outside the DMV. Well, we are we are so 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 happy to have you on Black on the Scene. I was like, Didi, we got to get John Gibson on because I know he's gonna give us some some Johnisms. He's gonna give us all the all the tools and everything. He's just so great. Every time I hear you talk, John, I'm always like, just taking all the notes in. It's always so fantastic. So we are so happy to have you. Thank you for um, having me. I always like to start our guest off with uh, a conversation around their early life. 
when they mm-hmm. were young. So mm-hmm. I want to know about John, the John Gibson in DC growing up and who that kid little was. Little John. And Little John, right. <laughs> and John with an H, by the way, for all of our listeners. I'm John, J-O-N, and John with an H. <laughs> Bro, it's taken me a long time to embrace John. Because I'm like, oh, it's just John. It's Even though I'm a I'm a third. I'm like, it's just John. But, you know, I'm, I've grown into it. Because it's, I think, the world's most popular name for men, for males. So. Is it? Oh. I think it is. It is. So, you know, John the Baptist and these others. So, no, so we're, we're a good company, even though you don't, we have, are in... even though you don't have the H, it's okay. Oh, I did want to remove the H because I thought the J-O-N was pretty fly. But The, the, the J-O-N is pretty fly. And mind you, I'm, I'm Jonathan legally. And when oh. I started getting into the, into the industry, people just started just calling me John. Like, my mom yeah. still calls me Jonathan to this day. And so everyone's like, John, John's like, okay, I'll just take with John. No, and now it's kind of like, it's kind of like JG, which is weird. We both have the same initials too. Yeah, John. Know, right? <laughs> <laughs> but people call me JG as well. But uh, talk about your, your young days, your younger days in, in, in DC and who, who were you as a kid? And did you see yourself on screen at all in any way growing up? That, that is, you know, really the basis of why I created the MPA's DNI program. Growing up in D.C. at a time, nation's capital, most powerful city in the world, 85% black. So truly, I mean, that's what the moniker, Chocolate City. I mean, it was black. I think it was a joke once. Um, you could find 8 million black people on eight blocks. <laughs> because while D.C., I mean, it's just, uh, you know, it's not geographically large, but we were all there. And growing up, you know, um, I loved movies and TV. They were forms of escapism. When times were not good, they were inspirational, aspirational. But I just didn't see me. And particularly all the movies and shows about D.C., I'm like, where are my folks at? So even when I see shows now that, you know, veer towards the past, and I'm like, y'all still aren't correcting that. That's a problem for me. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I just... um, you know, the home of the federal government. You know, I grew up at a time where black folks just wanted you to be safe. And working for the federal government was safety. You know, we, you know, just what, 20 years removed from the, the, the civil rights movement, it was, let's just get in these jobs. So get that good government job and be okay. But I wanted more. But I did start off initially in the federal government, high school internships, when I was in college, an internship. But then I pivoted, went to work for the Senate, which was fast paced and madness and crazy, then became an appointee under President Clinton. I was the youngest aide to a cabinet member. Um, And then, you know, from there, from that job, I was I saw the world. My first trip ever outside the country was to Hong Kong for two weeks, representing the administration. Oh, wow. So that kind of planted a bug into me that, oh, the world is much bigger and I need Mm -hmm. to be a part of and I need Mm -hmm. to figure this out. But. I need to figure out how we can be more invested into the, I mean, we create everything. I mean, we set the mood for everything. I think everything that is sexy, that's hot, that is flashy, that is a movement starts with our community. And how do we fully integrate that? Or how do we fully get recognition for it? No, not how to fully integrate it. How do we fully get recognition for it? How do we get recognition? Because that's one thing that we will, we still struggle with to this day of just like, Y'all, y'all will take and, and, and without any apologies and just think that it's yours. And it's like, we, there's no recognition of it. bro. And, and that that's such a, that's such, that really rouses me up so much around that. 
I got to give a shout out to um, Ben Affleck, that Hollywood Reporter interview he did two weeks ago, where he said 90% of everything that's popping starts for African Americans, and we and they don't get the credit. I got to get the brother. Like I but appreciate the, that. But the the crazy part, I appreciate the quote, but then, but like when people were covering that article, it was mm-hmm. like that was not mentioned. You know what it's I mean? It was like it's. I'm like, well, this man is saying this man, this this Caucasian man is from saying Boston. this amazing yeah. quote from Boston, yes. right? Yeah, and That's with his Hispanic point. wife, like, and it's like this is a big, this is big, like yes. this is like tr- true recognition of that. And I, I, I love that he said it. But I'm like, I wish more people would have picked up on it. I know because if you didn't, if you didn't read a piece and you didn't see it, but you saw I the wish, other headlines he had in the article. I wish even a lot of our multicultural media would have picked up on it too, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because we have to, you know, when there's like true allyship, we got to support them. And we have to educate our folks that, you know, there are some folks that are actually riding for us. And these yeah. are who they are. Right, right. John, so you mentioned, you, you said so much in your in your first answer. And I want to unpack um, when you went into the to, the politics, the, de- the the politics area of your life, because I'm very curious around how that was for you as a Black man during that time period and kind of navigating through that, like, what were some of the highs and lows of that? And how did you kind of get through it? I was just talking to somebody about this um, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, one of my colleagues, our senior um, EVP and global um, general counsel, um, a woman of color, black woman, Karen Temple. We had an event, Women's History Month event. She brought her daughter and her daughter's a preteen. And when she was just saying, hey, when you're in these spaces, this is how you engage people. And I said, Laura, my mom used to do the same with me. You know, my mom was a nurse, but we had these practice sessions of, this is how you firmly shake hands, eye contact, don't look away, you force them to look away, you know? And then, you know, my, my stepdad, my pops was really good about, he was a taskmaster about manners, you know, not yay, no, it's yes, sir, no, sir. It's all these things. So coming again, being from DC um, in high school, there was an internship at the Department of Housing and Urban Development HUD. 81 of us went for two weeks to just to get an understanding of government but also office, um, office knowledge and experience. Of the 81, only one person that their department found money to hire, and that was me. And I think it goes from that basis of, you know, parents setting the foundation. But even then, still in a city of all of these Black folks, when I encountered people that didn't look like us, they were like, you're different. And I'm like, different. And I would always say different than what? Because I know a lot of people like me. And I knew what they were, you know, I knew what they were trying to say. And I would try to get them to force them to say it. But then I think, I, you know, I credit my mom with just being, you know, you got to be, I'm an extroverted introvert. So I have to be engaging. But, you know, my comfort zone is just, if I come into a space and I don't know anybody, I go to the corner. Until I see you or Dee, Dee show up and then y'all want to introduce me to people. Then I'm the life of the party. But otherwise... I first, don't. For, for, first of all, John, you're never in a room where you don't know nobody. I didn't. I don't know how to work the room because I still suffer from imposter syndrome. Mm. So I'm like, why am I in these spaces? So my mm-hmm. mom would force me to push past that. And so I did that. Then again, I'm in this fellowship um, when I was at the University of District of Columbia. And it was, you know, for a technical fellowship. But the policy people, the government, the legislative staff were across the hall and they were predominantly white. And so I'm talking to them, you know, just engaging. And they were like, you know, you should go work on the Hill because the Hill work for the legislative component is fast. You know, it, the movements, you can just get some stuff done. 
And, you know, a job came open with um, Senator Barbara Boxer, California's office. They helped prepare me. I did that for a year. And the Senate is fast. It is. It was just different. Federal government, I mean, no shade to the federal government, but you got to do a lot to lose your job in the federal government. And as such, people show up and show out. <laughs> they going from the clubs to the world. Now, now there are some hardworking people at the government. Let me just say that. But <laughs> it's it's real. I don't know why the sitcom hasn't been done yet. But anyway, <laughs> That's a great idea. That's a great idea. <laughs> I don't know why. I don't know why. <laughs> but and so, you know. Everybody loves McDonald's fries. So, yes, you accused your mom of stealing some of your fries on the way home. Um, but the bag did feel a little light. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Working at the Senate, then I get a call. Hey, do you want to come back to USDA, Department of Agriculture? But this time, working for the new secretary. So this now you would be a political appointee of the president of the United States. But that Senate, um, that tenure, it prepared me. Because again, as you're an appointee, you don't, yeah, you, you're still federal government, but you don't follow the rules. It's not a nine to five. It's a 24 hours, seven days a week. You work at the pleasure of the president, meaning one day you could be like, you are no longer pleasurable to work with. You got to go. But again, as I, you know, it, you know, I had never been outside the country. Um, my first time was to being sent to Hong Kong for two weeks and been on the plane. And it was like a packed um, double decker with only what? Five other people that looked like me. That was an experience. And from there, you know, just like what's possible, you know, I, have a photo, one of my favorite photos, a picture with Nelson Mandela outside his home when we did a U.S. food mission to Africa. And I got the chance to, I mean, like meet him, meet him and see those violet eyes that most people didn't know his eyes were violet. So again, a little boy from D.C., you know, I think this was all my mama's prayers. I think even now she's in heaven, still interceding on my behalf. But I didn't think all of this was possible, but it was. And that's what I want people to understand that, you know, nothing can confine us. We really, it's just really the limits of our imagination and just the grit and hustle of getting it done. We got to, but you got to hustle. We can be put in these rooms, but once we're in these rooms, we got to do the work. Well, and connect with people like Didi and John. Doing the work and also having folks like you, folks like us, helping us Mm -hmm. along the way. Talk to us about that journey. And you're, you're new to this whole, in this whole environment this career, mm-hmm. but you have the foundation that shout out to our parents who were making us, you know, yes. business people and professionals yes. before we even knew what that was yes. or how that would help us to have that skill set, right? Um, tell yeah. us about who was around you to, you know, maybe pull you aside and say, young blood, this ain't the, the move right here, or you should be speaking up more in meetings or don't do that, like whatever that was. I, you know, I always was taught, you know, you don't always let them know how close you are. And even at, so I'm at USDA, I'm a political, and there were some senior level, um, really they were black women that were in, one was an undersecretary of food nutrition. So that's, USDA had a $65 billion budget, the WIC program, school lunch, all that came under her purview. Um, she went to the University of Arkansas Pine Bluff, so HBCU graduate. Um, and so, during the day, I had to address, you know, surely, because, you know, even though I'm in my early 20s, you know, I'm still your colleague. But after hours, because of how I was raised, I called her Aunt Shirley. 
because I just it felt something like they just called her Shirley. Like, but during the day, and so after hours, my colleagues, those that I work with, didn't know how close we were. Because I would stay late when they had all left and I would go visit her office. And because I was in a space where I was getting information that she might not be privy to that was helpful to her, I could share. But then she was also teaching me lessons. Then there was um, Reba Pittman Walker, who became like my adopted godmom. And I never allowed people to be like, I'm your on the job parent because I had great parents. But again, she was um, the assistant secretary for administration, first chief of staff of um, black women, deputy chief of staff of this entire agency. She fed into me. And then, you know, again, political, my mom's best friend ended up there, who actually was the reason why I got back. So I had all these great black women that would provide counsel and leadership. And then, you know, I had some mentors. Um, I got, you know, there were some white males who just was like, you know what, you confident, we're gonna let you fly. And um, Dan Glickman, who was the secretary of ag, who interesting enough, became the first chair of the MPA when it was MPAA after Jack Valenti. Um, but I didn't work at MPA at this. We didn't work together at the time. But Dan really just allowed me to kind of do some things. Once I mastered what I was hired to do, and then when I wanted to start traveling and do more stuff, invest in our community, um, being on the task force in the 1890s. So USDA has significant funding for the um, 18 HBCUs that are land-grant institutions. You call them the 1890s. But they weren't getting the same funding as the 1862s, which is your Texas A&M your larger schools. So he put me on the task force as his representative. And some folks thought I was too young, but he was like, but I had the, the seal of the Secretary of Ag. So I was fighting for our people. And then USDA had massive civil rights issues internally, you know, the eradication of black farmers. So we were confronting all of that. And to be in those meetings and to be able to not just sit alongside the wall, but certain times, even though I was young, and brought to the table in my perspective hers. So those opportunities set the, you know, set the um really the foundation for what I'm doing now. So I'm grateful for, you know, more so having an ear to listen and understanding that um critique and counsel is necessary for growth. And sometimes it hurts, but you gotta take it. A lot of times right. it hurts. I love but that. You, that lesson Good. you need. And it's so interesting too because and then I'll let John go because I know he has his question. But it with this generation of millennial and Gen Zers, like sometimes the critique isn't critiqued in the in the nicest possible way. And so right. we do try to be, of course, now mindful because it's a different, you know, a different world. Yes, it's absolutely. so funny how I'm looking at and I'm sure you're looking at them too, like, yo, and John's a millennial, but he's an old, he's an old soul. He's also, uh-huh. <laughs> you're like, um, we didn't know what feelings were. You just went in there and got the job done. Like, no one cared yep. if you had any feelings. And I do appreciate yes. that this younger generation has bridged so much of the thought leadership of how we're doing business and support they need in the in the in the workplace. So yeah, I I I I definitely have gotten my own share of critiques. That has really helped me. Yes. Absolutely. John with an O. Um, John. I know, I know John. <laughs> well, no, well, no, well, I wanted to I wanted I wanted to transition into your work you're doing at the NBA because it's it's so important. And that's how me and you started working together. Yes. Mm -hmm. And I'm gonna challenge you to see if you remember where we first met at, John. 
Uh, I believe it was, um, was. ABFF, and I believe I can tell you what year it was. I can tell you what year because your boss at the time we met in 2012, so it was 2013. When and, and I guess ABFF, uh, it is what 18, what whatever years, many years of existing. It was the first time all six of the major studios were there together, and I made that happen. Yeah, you're right. You are one thousand percent right. Indeed, I visited ABFF. I started the, the DNI program in 2012, so now I'm trying to figure. Okay, what is it? Because there was no. I created it from dust. It was just no roadmap. Wait, by yourself? Heard about ABFF? By yourself? Did you have any support? Uh, yeah, I went, I went by myself. There was no budget at the time. Why is there never a budget? Not, <laughs> Why is there never a budget? <laughs> At the time, our CEO could not say, I'm hiring somebody for diversity. The studios were not in that place. So I was doing other things. And then it was that January 2012, when Spike Lee said, infamously said, Hollywood doesn't care about black people. We were like, let's pull the trigger. Let's figure out this out. So I'm driving in. Shout out to Russ Parr, because he was on the radio at the time talking about ABFF, because filmmaker. And I got in the office, emailed to our people out in L.A., Assuming there was a budget for festivals, which there was not. And I'm like, do we have a relationship? They never heard of ABFF. So I went into the CEO and was like, I think I want to make this visit. Do you? He was like, full support. So I went. I'm wandering. Because, again, I don't know anybody. I didn't let them know I was coming. I, you know, just one experience. And I saw all of this energy. I didn't see our studios. Happened into the NBC Universal suite. Because at, that was the year when NBC had all of these black shows coming in the fall. Remember, um, Megan Good and Last Alonzo had a show. They were detectives together. It was these shows didn't last long, but that was the year. Oh yeah, I remember that. And so I'm just again, I'm you know I, I don't work the room. I don't really go out. I saw this young lady. We were talking. She said she was from Silver Spring. I said I'm from DC. So we just started talking. I told her what I did, and then one of my favorite people in the world was like. The Senator Dodd that I see at the time, no, you down here representing him with these tattoos showing. And that was the great Talitha Watkins. And <laughs> that's how we met. I had a feeling and, that it was. Yes. <laughs> I was like, sis, so we talking. I'm like, where are the studios? She's like, they don't come. It's sporadic. And I was like, no, I'm going to bring them next year. She had this look like, Negro, please. Like, it's not going, it's not possible. That next January, as I started working on this, she called me. She's like, something's happening. You're, you're doing something. And then fast forward, all six were there. If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. At participating McDonald's. All six. Never, ever happened before. In a two-hour program, it's like, well, all six work together. So that's where I met John. She was like, you need to meet my right hand. And I'm like, and John comes in with all this energy. I'm like, oh, my God, he's such a baby. But he was a boss. I mean, coming in, directing stuff. I mean, yeah. And, and I No, because I was scared of Talitha for her. I didn't, want, I didn't want to feel the wrath of hers. I was like, let me make sure everything is together. But that's actually when I was working at um, Ally, and she had – she had she had helped to start um, Ally Moxie at the time, and Sweet. so we worked so closely together. Um, and I want to say that was when ABFF the one time it was in New York. It was right. No, no so no, that, this so afterwards they went to New York. So 2013 when we did our Charlie Fish John, it was a thousand people at the Ritz. 
They turned that. So yeah, so to know mine was that mine was in New York. That was the first oh, the time. Oh, the one that she brought Chadwick. When she brought Chad, yeah, that was yes. for Get On Up. Didi was there too. I want to say. Yeah. <laughs> can, I, can I tell you? I, look, ABFF, I love you. So I'm not talking about y'all, but that New York was so hard because we had a thousand people at the first one because it was baked in the host hotel, the SVA theater, and this time I brought our CEO who had never been to ABFF. We were pulling people from off the streets in. And the staff was like, you can't do that. I'm like, if my boss comes in. <laughs> yeah, still, I remember. It was, it was, it was definitely an experience. Yes. But, that, <laughs> and, but that's the stuff you can laugh about. Because remember, afterwards, right. I think he took everybody. We were like, he wants to take everybody to lunch. And we went to Times Square. Yeah. And so you got all of these marketing execs. Didi, you were there. Didi so was there. But I didn't, I, I was there, but I didn't go to that lunch. I can yes. tell you. You're a man after my own heart, pulling people off the street. John knows, like my pet peeve. I was project manager on Get On Up, and yeah, let's just say our activation wasn't as full as I would have liked it. And mm -hmm. Oprah was like, mm -hmm. "I need your staff in these seats. I need get the janitor in here." Yes, I, yes. you already know. Like it, it was you no. Know, we found these two guys, these two frat guys who went to UConn. And whenever we said Senator Dar, obviously Connecticut, they came in. Them two guys hyped that audience. And we probably only had 200 people, there, if 200. Now, the year before, 1,000. I'm like, oh, my God, it's going to be packed. Too. They made the difference, but we pulled them in off the street. They didn't know what they were coming into. They just knew. And when Chadwick walked out, they were yelling, hooping and hollering. I was like, you know what? Somebody give them, give them $50 each. <laughs> That's what we gotta do. I was like, y'all not gonna embarrass me. <laughs> I remember that. I remember that was such a. a, a the, actually, that was the year I I first moved to LA too. So that was just, that that year just stands out to me in so many ways. And that was that was one of the it times was my I, first I first ABFF met you. Too. Yeah. It was, and we we're like, this New York ABFF is very, it just, it was just, it was a lot because we kept having to go across different venues across the city. Uh, uh, we had that, what, what, that thing we had for Get On Up, Didi, that, um, the, that, the museum, the experiential museum. Yes. And by the for way, James Brown, it was. The DJ was D Nice. The DJ wow. was D Nice. Yeah. So I'm happy that the festival got a, the most press has ever gotten being there. Yeah, like Miami is where it needs to be. Miami where it needs to be. Because everything uh, is together. Because New yeah. York, trying to get around, I'm just like, look. Yes. Shout out to Jeff and Nicole for ABS. Yes. I can't wait for this year. It's going to be fantastic. And this um, year, first year, I won't be there. What? My, the first one I will miss, I've gone every year since 2012. I have to be in the UK uh, for meetings with the studios, and then I have to go to... Paris for meetings and then to Brussels. So I'm doing a European. You see this face, John? I'm like, what is ABFF about John Gibson? This is not. You get us but, into all the parties. <laughs> you know, we always talk about how we, it's, we, we do well when it's just more than one of us in the room. Our VP of Digital Media Advocacy, David Hudson, my brother from another, who is, if you've been impressed with what NPA has been doing in the social space and with our programming virtual, it's all because of D. So D is doing it. And he's going to talk about how creators can leverage social media for their benefit. So he's putting together a rock star panel. So he will be there. I'll make sure y'all connected. But and this is his first time going. That's amazing. And so yes. I'm excited for him. Yes, please connect us. Yes, please do. I love it. Okay. So you're at MPAA, you're mm -hmm. connecting all the studios. 
you're really yes. leaning on your background and skill set in politics and diplomacy. Yeah. And this, this yes. dogged, like, persistence, right? Talk yes. about some of the challenges of walking into those rooms where you're like, y'all need to be doing this, and here's why. What was it like getting the presentation together? What was the pitch? Or it was, or even getting my team to recognize what I was doing because, you know, for the first few years outside of the CEO, the senior team thought, well, maybe he's just doing diversity because he's the black guy, not knowing my background. Not disrespectfully, but because they were all great, but it was just there wasn't this. Or I used to joke that I was only important in February because you had the Oscars, the war seasons. The, uh, and remember, I launched a DNI program three years before Oscar So White. But it was, you know, you still had these rumblings because the studies were coming out. And remember, um, TV One had their entire news program, and Roland Martin used to go in. He would have the Darnell Hunt on there. So it got a lot of energy. And then and you had Reverend Sharpton and the civil rights groups all there. You know, Mark Morial, all of them. And so February, I just, oh, look, Elf on the Shelf, John on the Shelf, let's put him out there. And I used to I used to joke about it. It really, when did it internally happen is when production incentives started being tied to diversity. And at the time, Governor Cuomo in New York was like, look, studios, I'm giving you guys all of these um, hundreds of millions. You all need to do something. And one of my colleagues at MPA got really panicked. So, and first of all, I'm not in these rooms. But when you have good friends during these rooms, they're going to let you know what's happening. And it was like, oh, my God, what do we do? And actually, Didi was someone from, at the time, Viacom Global, well, Viacom, that was like, you know, your DNI program is pretty aggressive. That exact, that afternoon flew down. I mean, bust through the doors of my office, like, what is it that you're working on? And when I laid out, so then I'm still not on these calls, but I'm basically being presented as if I can walk on water. I'm like, see, this is what you're not going to do. Not gonna set me up for failure because I know how the suit, I know how the industry can be. If you if you do right, yeah, okay. But if you mess up, they're coming for you. And so it was really um, a sense of I felt strongly that there were executives of color that looked like me on these studio lots who have been quietly pushing the agenda for what we have now. And I needed to identify who y'all were and utilize my position to kind of be like your PR agency because I knew, and I understand, you know, I, you know, our, our studios tell great stories. They don't always tell their stories effectively, particularly back in 2013 to 2017. It was, you know, it's risk adverse because you're not going to win. If we've been operating at 30% diversity, we've now gone up to 45. So that's a 15% gain, but you got detractors saying, well, they're not at 99% or hundred. No industry is. But it's easy to to pick on media and entertainment, film and TV, and now streaming. So I wanted to be your chili. So that's why we, we constantly tell me what you're working on. I can do it because I can go before a member of Congress and say, "Well, let me tell you what um, Paramount Global is working on." Da, 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 da. And then when the hard hitting questions hit, me, like, "You know what? Sorry, I don't. We don't work in the creative space. I can't." And that's a business question. I don't work for them, so I can't. And so it's almost so I would be the most effective person because if you had someone from the company, you can't have an exec from your company dodging those questions. Then they get irritated. Whereas the trade association, I could drop all the great things y'all are doing and jump out, and to come back in and jump out. And so once I got my counterparts, um, many of the folks you all know to understand that look, 
at the end of the day, we don't work in a creative space. People want to hear from y'all first. But if you guys are not available, I can do it. It was like, oh, my God, he's an asset. Or when you guys, you all would be summoned to Washington to meet with legislators, I knew the lay of the land. Well, I'll go with you. This is who you talk to. I'll connect you with some of these groups. So once explaining that your trade association is there to support you, and we're not a PR firm that you have to pay, so you almost have free resources, if you will, I think that folks started to get it. So it wasn't really that much of a hardship. Initially, it was like, okay, what is the, why is the MPA jumping in this space? So I did have to build credibility with folks at the studios, particularly those in the DNI space, which can oftentimes be a very lonely space, an iso, isolated space, but also everything gets dumped on it. And you're like, okay, this is another voice. Okay, somebody else telling me to do stuff. And I'm like, no, no, no. My, my goal solely is to support and help what you're doing. So, John, you're building this department by yourself initially. And still by myself. And oh, that's, that's <laughs> what I was going to ask is like, yes. what are, because after George Floyd and the racial reckoning. Oh my God, um, yeah. 20 mm-hmm. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. 20, a lot of companies uh, miraculously realized where they were falling short. And through these mm-hmm. sort of DEI initiatives at all run by black and brown people, which is it yes. really our problem to solve by ourselves. What are some of the tips that, because I've heard this story before about other folks that we probably know um, who started mm-hmm. their company's DEI um, initiatives and departments by themselves. What mm-hmm. are some of the tangible tips, tools that you use to build this department, build this initiative that could also help other people in this place, which, and I say tangible, but I go back and say, what are what are some of the prayers you prayed to? Because we know that that had a lot to do with it. <laughs> Oh, 2020 was such a, for all of us, I mean, you're stuck at home, not knowing what, I mean, the world is just simply shut down, except for Florida. So you don't know what's going on, but you still had to find a way. And so we really ramped up. We had this program, in-person program called, um, it didn't have a name, but I would bring in D.C. high school students um, to the MPA. And if there were certain films, um, like I love, like we did one with Sony, When the Game Stands Tall. We had two football teams from rival high schools, but one in the morning, one in the afternoon. And you would have these young men. They all wore their jerseys with khakis. So we're MPA. We're two blocks from the White House. They took public transit. So you would see a long line of young black men, jerseys and khakis coming to the MPA. So people were like, well, what's happening? And so we had ex-NFL players to kind of just talk to them about life and success and just really kind of motivate them and also show them this great movie. So when um, COVID hit, when we shut down, we transitioned that to Film School Fridays. One of my colleagues came up with that title. And so we just started doing a lot of virtual programming. So at this point, I'm like, well, gloves off, mask off. We had some really tough conversations. Um, I then created this program called Unfiltered, where I had um, Ron Flynn and Brian Terrell Clark, 
three black men, different parts of the industry where we talked about it and we let it ride because I'm like, I'm tired. You know, we were all just simply tires, but we just kind of still, I needed to make it work. Then we did disclosure with Laverne Cox, I'm sorry, Laverne Cox about the trans documentary at Netflix. Again, stuff that we had never done. We took these, we took advantage of it. Captive audience, let's go with, let's do a deep dive in. And I got to say, you know, um, the blessing of my job, and it has been tough at times, is that it has been very rare that I've ever get pushed back. I have a tremendous amount of autonomy. But even with that, I still Im- invite everybody in. I still let everybody know what I'm doing. Because, you know, we just can't afford to m- make mistakes like others can. And I don't ever want it to be said, oh, well, John didn't tell us this or John didn't tell us that. Because I don't ever want to make sure that my CEO or my senior executive team or my bosses are ever blindsided. So even with all of the movements that I'm do- doing, uh, and sometimes it's stealthy. I think I work in the shadows, as I like to say. Um, even when the studios weren't ready to be aggressive about it, as they are now, at no point did any of them ever say, John's doing too much, pull him back. Not once. Because they understood that once I started, it was a John and a Didi. Oh, my God. Like. I'm talking about y'all in rooms in Washington where people are like, oh my God, we need to see them. And then we, so we created this diversifying the Hollywood creative pipeline series in Washington. So one year I'd bring you all. The next year I'm bringing the, a- the ABFFs, the, a- the actors, the Nalits, the women in film, the LA Skins Fest to talk to le- legislators. It served a twofold purpose. One, they're seeing the groups that really were instrumental in pushing this long before the studios started focusing on it. But then these groups were saying, no, the studios have really made a space for us. And they're not lobbyists, so they weren't paid to say this stuff. So legislators started looking at us very differently. But no, some of the prayers was just like, Lord, give me favor. Give me favor when I talk to the chief diversity officer, not of just the studio, but it has to be the parent company as well that has so much on their plate to understand that I am to be a resource and a support system and not a distraction or another uh, another entity beating up on us. Because I understand, and that's what I would tell the civil rights groups. I'm like, there are folks that look like you that are fighting every day. So when you throw these attacks, recognize that you're harming them too. So just, will you please give us some grace and shout out to Reverend Jackson, Reverend Sharpton, Mark Mariel, to our friends at LULAC, the Jack- all of these civil rights groups that we deal, NPA deals with, they fully recognize that. And if you notice in the last several years, even when the reports come out, they're not on media. They're not making statements. They understand the progress that's been made, but still understand we have a long way to go. But they understand that there are the Johns and Didis and others working on these lots to really transform the industry for the betterment of all of us, but particularly our communities. John, I want I want to go somewhere for a second. Okay. Um, <laughs> um, no, because I, 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 I like the, the notion of you, there, there has been progress in this industry and looking at Hollywood as an institution, like not any specific studio or entity or anything, mm-hmm. but it's looking at Hollywood as a, as an institution of what it, what it is, the movie, the movie film industry, you know, it, it is unsettling at times around just the, the, 
the constant conversation and the constant yeah. buzzwords of diversity and things like that. And I always am like, well, is anything really changing? Is this all just for show? And then I hear people like you and doing the work that you're doing behind the scenes, people like what Didi and I do behind the scenes and, and, a, and a lot more. But is that enough? Is it is it always have to be us to make the change or does it have to start to bleed out into other areas um, for it to make the change? Because I feel like, you know, holding, you know, some of these larger titled individuals accountable they make things happen all the time. They, 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 you know, they get these big paydays and get these big things, but I just, there's just still so much more to change and so much more to shake and to make impact on. And, you know, I'm a very optimistic individual and I would love, love to say that in my lifetime, I would love to say that this X, Y, Z change, but sometimes I'm like, I don't know. Do you really what? feel like, you know, do you really feel my question for you, though, is do you really feel um, that, you know, the change that we're all hoping and, and needing and, and wanting to occur will actually happen in the in the near future versus the versus, you know, 100 years from now? And um, and sorry. And, and do you feel like what do you feel like we could be doing more of? Not we, but like just the industry. Yes, the industry. Yeah. Um, you know, I have six bottles of Uncle Nearest here, and if I took a couple of shots before I answer this question, I, I might not be such a. I wish we had some too. My favorite. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, my junior he does a podcast with his uh, alumni from North Carolina A and T, and they always take shots. They always drink through their podcast, and I did it once, and it was really good um, because I would have a really different answer. So no, notice that some of my comments have been a little bit measured because um, I'm gonna have MPA amplify this panel discussion. <laughs> but I think as an association, we're doing all that we can. But again, we don't work in a creative space. Um, it, there are days, there are dark days. And I will be very honest with you. I'm going to actually read you guys a text that I um, had texted my boss yesterday. And I said, hey, this is yesterday, 1130, 1130 a.m. I said, I had the most sobering dinner last night. It's a very bleak landscape for independent creators of color. Certain companies are no longer engaging independent creators unless they already have secure distribution. So that wipes out more than 95%. That intel coupled with the LA Times story is why I'm drinking right now. Um, when I go to festivals and I see people so hungry to be a part of this industry, so vibrant, um, so excited, they have a unique perspective that needs to be seen and heard. And... We're not even there to even greet them. Meaning the people, the acquisition folks, um, where our communities, our brothers and sisters, our Latino and Asian brothers and sisters and cousins, they are mortgaging their homes, using their life savings to put out uh, a piece of art because they feel so passionate about it. And this is their only shot at it. And it might not go anywhere, but to a couple of beloved multicultural festivals that have just been there in spite of support, they've just been there. And the festival organizers and owners and leaders are frustrated because they can't get this great work beyond them. It, 
you have those emotional days. And I'm glad that in 2023, black men can be like, black folks can be like, this hurts. It hurts. It, I will tell you, it absolutely hurts. Because um, one year I went the path and John, I was not going to go. And you spoke up. He was like, bro, if you can go, go. And my good friend, Lamonia Brown, she was showcasing her um, her short film. And I went and I saw all of these projects. And I even told, they, they introduced me and I said, I was, I was like, I didn't even want to be here, but I'm so glad I came. Because what I saw here lit my spirit on fire. There was a husband and wife that had did crowdfunding for like a sitcom series. It was so well produced. It could have been on any major network as is. And when I talked to them, I could see the excitement because they were just like, oh, my God, the Motion Picture Association. And I'm thinking, I can't even get them a call from anybody in the creative space. That hurts because you see the hope. So, my bro, I don't know. I don't, I, it is a lot of just rhetoric. And it does get exhausting when you look at the numbers. And, you know, again, as I said before we started taping, you know, I used to, be fearful when these research and when USC and UCLA started release. Oh my God, I couldn't sleep. And I was like, let me change my position on that. I had surgery, a massive surgery, spinal surgery in 2021. My amazing surgery surgeon still did a consult with another surgeon. It didn't diminish his capability. Just simply said, I need another set of expert eyes. And that's how I now view the studies. Um, you, if you're in it, you can't see how you can navigate it. You know, it's like you're in a maze. You're in it. You don't know that you could be literally, if you make an adjustment, you could be right where you need to be. And I think the studies provide that, which is why a number of our studios give them money towards the research. So I welcome them. And then I, in knowing the researchers, I know their hearts. They're not just trying to make money. They want the industry to do better. Darnell Hunt and Dr. Anna Christina Ramon are from marginalized communities. You know, um, Dr. Stacey Smith, they want the industry to do better. So now I look forward to them, but it's again, but the numbers are sobering. And again, it's just, we have to, it's the gatekeepers are still not changing. Well, and I think- we And the gatekeepers that, as we- I think we have a clear understanding of why that is. And I'm curious to yes. know because you, we have talked about we're in a creator economy, right? And of course, yes. this creator economy is more challenging for black and brown folks, naturally, especially yes. when a lot of our creativity is being copped, stolen, mm -hmm. uh, uh, all the things that we that has been happening to us over, over the years. And yes. we're looking at how creators, filmmakers, musicians are making money. I think that they're uh, are making a living because a lot of them aren't doing it to get rich because they're not going to. I'm getting yeah, more email right. into this creative process because John, our job is to market the content after we get it. But the making of it, yeah. I'm not, haven't been as privy to until recently. And so mm -hmm. being in the space of friends, colleagues, making, looking at budgets, from the studio of what it caught, you know, it's, it's funny because we all work so lean. I don't think people realize how lean marketing budgets yeah. actually are. Um, some studios more lean than, than others. But when I look at these avenues, like in OnlyFans, when you look at how yeah. social media has built 
they built their businesses on the backs of creators with no compensation, mm -hmm. right? Um, yeah. You look at OnlyFans, you look at Fanbase, which is a new um, social media mm -hmm. platform for us, by us, by um, Ike Hayes. I'm curious to know if you think that those alternative routes of distribution or are are helpful do we need to give them more space should there be a platform where you know again the subscribing you can subscribe and pay a little money um oh it's patreon it's the other one so is that where yeah. we're headed if we want to take back our control do and i'm just spitballing here because i'm just like yeah. do we because the community has to show up too and we know that see that's that's yeah i want to bring people into the table into the room at the table so getting back to your question of it's also educating the cousins because look you know y'all know we all look at the shade room we talk a lot but <laughs> but when it's time to support we yeah that's what i was gonna make i was gonna make that point and that's the thing even like you know people get tired of me you know my family when i got to mpa you know, Lord knows, you know, you go to a barbershop shop, you're going to get some bootleg films. And they would be like, oh, here come the police. Because I was, you know, I, I had been educated about piracy, that piracy overwhelmingly affects our community. Don't steal it. And they'd be rolling their eyes. And I'm like, look, I know physical piracy is not the, 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 the devil as is obviously online piracy. But still, it overwhelmingly affects us. For every $1 Moonlight made, nine were, nine were pirated. For every one dollar, so imagine what that film still could have made. So again, it affects us because we don't have the means. We're not borrowing from mom and dad. We are literally putting up our life savings and all the things I said before. So if we could just get our community to understand that, and I just you know people still think award shows and seeing people walk with these you know borrowed jewelry and these couture outfits and whatever that, oh, Hollywood is wealthy, but understanding that the 2.5 million people that get up in this industry, heavily unionized industry, middle class, but they don't get it. And I don't know how to make that connection where it is like, oh my, this groundswell of support. Uh, oh my God, we really have to support our folks. We'll fight for them. Now we feel that somebody has stolen, we're going to hoop and holler and do all of that. But it's, how do you subscribe to these? Say, oh my God, $4, uh, a month to a minority-based, a black-based screaming platform, that's not going to hurt you. That's that Pepsi with taxes included. So <laughs> how do we leverage our $1.2 trillion buying power? And for the Latino community, I think it's $1.3. How do we leverage it? I don't have, I swear I wish I had those answers. I just don't. We just know that we get upset like a, oh, I'm not going, well, oh, so-and-so said that not to go see the woman king, blah, blah, blah. Like, I could go on a tangent well, about. I, I, what will we, say, I will say this, and I'll tell you who's doing it great. And I think you two will agree because you've worked with them before. But being over at Gold House, the collective that they're doing, as much as I know about them, we've worked with them on a, yeah. a few things. I love the Gold House Opens. I love what they're doing. And they mean business about, you can't just put any 
film about the AAPI community in front of them. They are going to vet that thing with an inch of its life. And it's going to be something that moves the culture forward. Right. I think we both would agree. Yes. Um, Yes. I think that there is, and just in terms of what we support as black people, we can see, and I don't want to dive into a specific part of the industry that does this. I'll just say collect. It would be really helpful if in the music space, we're shouting out black and brown designers, entrepreneurs, et cetera, versus Mm -hmm. the, Mm -hmm. I'll just say general market. I won't say who, because it'll be easy, but that would be really helpful if we had um, black stylists really putting an emphasis on black designers and designers of color um, and black talent wearing it, insisting upon having the, the, a diverse team around them. So yeah, it start. part of me feels like it starts within the industry and it rippling out. It starts with those with a platform. It really does. Yeah. It starts with those with the platform, starts with those with the influence and the power. And I think that, and it's a, then it's a domino effect across everything else and it spreads. And I think that, you know, the work Didi does, the work I do, the work you're doing, John, all is a part of the larger pie that yeah. we are trying to invoke some change in this. Um, I'm 38 years old. I don't know how much longer I got because it's so stressful and it, it tires me out. But I love what I do and I love film yeah. and I love representation and I love, you know, I, the last 12 years of my career have been nothing but splendid, magical, just blackness. And I and I, yeah. and I I have loved it so much. And I wanted to salute to you, John, because you, again, just from the moment I met you, you have been doing the work and you have been just that groundswell of what you need. And you are being, you connected the dots, you connect the people, you're just, you're just doing the work. And I want to be able to give you your, your flowers that and just say thank you for the, for the work that you have been doing because I appreciate y'all. It, it is, it is, it is important and you are doing it. And as I know, it's it can be crazy, and I know it can be stressful, but I also know it's like bright spots around it as well. And, yeah, and there are and those, that, and there are those, and I Absolutely. think that's the part that we love, and that's the part that we that can, that can that's make why we you continue. Back. Exactly. Yeah, we, and then, and when you do tap into those, because you know, I want the audience to understand there are some leaders within our industry that don't look like us that are really pushing the charge. And you know, I'm grateful that even like our CEO Charles Rifkin who worked under President Obama, was his first ambassador to France. But previously, he ran the Jim Henson Company. So he's the first MPA CEO who was an industry CEO. And even before he got the MPA, he was doing diversity stuff at State Department and at the embassy. So when I first met him, he talked about my programming. And I said, we, because I always say we, this is the way my mom, humility is uh, it's a strength, not a weakness. And then she also said pride come up before fall. So I'm always like, we, even though... It could be just me. I'm always going to say we, us, collectively. And he was like, no, it's not we, it's you. But the um, the ambassador's giving me such support. And if I need him for anything, he'll ride in. And that's what we need. That's what the industry needs. We need to have the folks like us having that bat line to the CEO's office. Because, again, the CEOs have changed in the industry. They diversify. But if they don't have that direct access to the people on the ground, could be like, this ain't happening. Because, you know, the gatekeepers are in the middle. And some can be very senior, but still in that middle, you need you need the leaders of, you know, the leaders of the industry. And 
You need more. I'm saying you need more white men talking about this. So whenever there's an opportunity to talk about it, y'all need to talk about it. You you just need to. You run the industry. Talk about it. Have these hard discussions. <laughs> I, drop, I, I look. Drop, drop the mic. But you're right. You're right. You're right. Yeah. You're um, right. We had the second gentleman, Vice President Harris's husband, over to the NPA for Women's History Month. One of his core initiatives is gender equity. And we got a chance to talk to side, and he said, absolutely, white men have to talk about this. And it's much more powerful when you're not taking your, your, your executive color four levels below the C-suite, pushing them out there when your number one or number two or number three are effectively talking about this. And then getting the hard questions afterwards. Okay, yeah, you gave a great speech, but what are you actually doing? And how do you demonstrate it? John, we could sit here for probably know, four more hours and try to solve the world's Hollywood's problems. Uh, <laughs> we can make a million and one solutions and scenarios, but this has been this such conversation, a conversation. No lie, right? Um, <laughs> we should. You know, Didi, it would have really went there. <laughs> it would have really went there. Didi would have got riled all the way up because she can. <laughs> John, this has been such a good conversation, and we again we appreciate all that you do in this in your in your world and just the way that you touched lives from here on out have been such so impactful and we really 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 want to just give you our appreciation and your flowers for that because even for me uh just take a moment to talk about me for a second um just as a as, as a young black man in this industry i didn't see a lot of people like myself yeah. and um Actually, I'm like, I think you may be the, you and like maybe three or four others, maybe the only ones. And so just seeing you in a suit with a handkerchief, clean shaven, great public speaker, just really great energy. I remember seeing that. And I was like, wow, like he's a really good. That's just amazing to see. And I was early in my career at that point. Yeah. And I, I again, I just think I don't want to, to, to not acknowledge like stuff like that matters. Um, and again, seeing me and now seeing how our relationship is like now I can like I call John for like advice and mentorship and just he connects dots to be to, for my career. And I, that that happened just from a, a casual ABFF in New York moment. And I just I want to say that you're doing that in so many other ways and touching so many other lives. And I just want to say thank you for that. Well, no, bro, I so appreciate, you know, just watching your trajectory. And and he's a great cook, everyone. He can, the, oh, with those wings you make. Um, yeah, my seven spice wings, yeah. Your seven spice wings. You in D.C. <laughs> I had, um, because look, the campaign that John and Aline did for the Women King, they were just white. And, they, you know, the last one was at the uh, National History Museum of African American History and Culture. And I was like, y'all, come over to the house the next day. Let's just decompress. Just have a good old time. And so, Didi, I got you. But even at last year's ABFF, when you introduced me to Didi, I'm like, oh, my God, finally. Because I've been hearing whispers about Didi. Like, there's – because, you know, you, we also – in D.C., we have Didi Lie, who's your global yes. head of policy. Yes. And she's amazing. She yes. has been – I know she's only a few years older than me, but I call her my mentor. And Didi, I mean, because, again, she's not just in the room. She's at the table. So when I saw – when I got to MPA and I saw Didi Lie – and Keith Weaver and Sony, I'm like, wow, there are folks that look like me, and I'm a, I still have mentors. I'm a, I'm look, you y'all my mentors. Like it's not about age, it's about experience and who can impart something into your life. So I always encourage people, but you know it's not easy for us. So we just have to lock arms and know that when we need to send out that nine one one, we'll respond. 
because there are those days where you just need to send a text to somebody and be like, I just need to talk. Amen. The community is so important. And that's the thing I love, of course, about an ABFF and national, yes. I mean, the Urban World Film Festival. Yes. That's what I love so much about just being with our people, being with our folks, where you just, a look says it all. You don't have to explain. You know what it is. Yeah. So we appreciate we the know. community. We appreciate your light, how much you pour into us. As, and, and, and not everybody can see it, but we feel it when you walk in a room. We feel it reverberating across the industry. We thank you so much. We love you. We see you. We're always here for you. And thanks for joining us. And let's keep fighting, folks. We got to keep fighting. <laughs> We're going to keep fighting. We have keep to. Keep fighting. We keep fighting. We will see you guys next time on Black on the Scene. Peace out. Who needs an alarm in the morning when McDonald's has sausage, egg, and cheese McGriddles and a breakfast cutoff? Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.